All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 15. We'll look at the final section of Acts 15. Try to conclude that this morning. We are uh, past our halfway point now. We're a chapter past our halfway point in the book of Acts. Seems like a long time we've been in this book, and we have been in it a long time, but we have some uh, left yet. We have covered some major uh, events, though, in the book of Acts, and so hopefully uh, it's been a blessing to you. We're, we're going to look at something um, that, to be honest with you, is, is not something I'd readily go to in, on a Sunday morning service, uh, but this is where we are in the book of Acts, so uh, we're just going to go with it because this is a, a needed topic. So let's look at Acts 15 and verse, starting in verse number 30. We will read from verse 30 to the end of the chapter. Acts 15, verse 30, the Bible says, So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And after they had tarried there a space, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles. Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, preach, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. Let's pray together. Our Lord, thank you so much that you love us, uh, that you have given your life for us, that you have bled and died for sinners, Lord, and that you have saved us, even as we've trusted in you and called upon you. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you for bringing us, Lord, into a relationship with you when we were aliens and and outcasts. We were sinful and without hope and without God in the world, even as your word says in Ephesians. Lord, thank you for this church and for the people that you placed in it. Thank you for those among us here that are visitors and for leading them to be with us as well. I pray that you'd bless them and guide them and teach them just as well as us today. Lord, as we look at Acts chapter 15 and this section, Lord, we pray that you would guide not only what I say, but also what is heard. That these truths that we see by example here, both good and bad, would, uh, would strengthen and help us and, and give us insight and understanding uh, with how we deal with one another. I pray that you would just uh, be glorified in everything that's done, that your will, above all other considerations, your will would be done. So Lord, we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So they receive, picking up where we left off last Sunday, they receive the, the letter from the, uh, the apostles in Jerusalem on the subject of the role of the law uh, to, the, to the Gentile church. And so they took that, that letter, Paul and Barnabas and Judas and Silas, who were in the church at Jerusalem, they took that letter back to Antioch, which is in the north, northern, north of Israel in Syria, which was the center of the Gentile church, the center of the non-Jewish church. And really, it's going to be the center of the church moving forward, even as it goes away from Jerusalem and goes to other parts of the world. And so they take the letter, and uh, this is where we're introduced to Silas. Now, Silas is going to be an important person. We, We know at the end of the chapter, Silas, he's also called Silvanus in the New Testament, is, uh, is going to be famous, really, because he's a companion of Paul, like Barnabas was, but also because he is also going to be the one that's in the Philippian jail with Paul in that famous chapter 16 uh, section there where they sing in the night and, uh, and the, the man comes in after the earthquake and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Silas is right there, and Silas is mentioned over and over in the New Testament as a faithful companion of Paul, just like Barnabas uh, was in the first missionary journey. And so Silas is introduced to us. Silas is apparently a Jew because he comes from Jerusalem. So we assume that Silas is a Jew. And and so he goes down to Antioch and he's preaching. And Silas seems like a man who's probably been through persecution himself. And that's going to contribute to what I want to say this morning uh, because Silas is from Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is a place where persecution has, uh, the, the church has endured persecution as a result of, uh, of the Jews there. And so we get to verse 36, and it comes, into, it comes into Paul's mind to go back and visit the churches that he had been to in what is now modern-day Turkey. And so he, he, he desires Barnabas to go with him, and uh, they, he said, let's go again in verse 36. And visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. So this is a good thing. This is the beginning of the second missionary journey. So a lot of maybe something that's often overlooked is that Barnabas and Paul were only together in one single journey. And it was a kind of a brief journey, just a few years. And then they, they split up. And verse number 37 says this. And Barnabas determined to to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now, in this passage, we, as I have read this over the years, I've often assumed that Paul was the one who was hard-headed in the choosing of Mark, who's also John Mark. Mark is his surname, uh, John Mark, and that uh, that that Paul was was the hard-headed one in refusing John Mark. And that Barnabas was kind of just kind of, he, just, he made a suggestion, Paul refused it, and then that's, you know, Paul did, did, his, did his thing. But that's actually not the case. Barnabas, and this is why it's important here in verse 38, compare the two. So in verse 37, Barnabas determined to take with him John, whose surname was Mark. In verse 38, but Paul thought not good to take him with them, and the reason given, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. So at this point, you have, you have Barnabas and you have Paul. Both of them are godly. Both of them are faithful. 
ministers of the gospel. They are, if I could expand it a little bit further, they are both holy men of God, men that are children of God. Both of them have the Spirit of God in them as a child of God. Both of them have a relationship to God. Both of them walk with God. And yet there's a problem. Yet there's a problem. They have a difference of opinion. Now, if you go back to Mark, uh, I'm sorry, to uh, chapter 13, just a couple pages over, I want to look uh, very quickly look at the history of Mark, John Mark. So John Mark initially went with Barnabas and Paul as they went on their first missionary journey. Back then, they were, he was called Paul in Acts, or rather Saul. And in verse number 13, the Bible says, Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. So we see that John, I'll just, just put it plainly, John failed. All right, John Mark, Mark, he failed. He got to a point, he started out right with the apostles going out and, and preaching and serving the Lord and trying to be a, a minister to them. And he's obviously, he, in, in the scripture, he's presented as younger. He's called Barnabas's sister's son, which would mean he was Barnabas's nephew. And that could have something to do with the affection that Barnabas had for Mark. But he started out right, but he failed. He, he, he messed up. He got discouraged. It was, uh, he, got, he maybe got disappointed. It, the ministry, as he understood it, had not, uh, was not what he expected it to be. After they had gone to Cyprus and then they went to Pamphylia, and things were not as easy, perhaps, as he thought it would be. Perhaps he was... He got homesick. He was homesick for his mom. I, I don't have any idea. One thing to note is that, is that he was likely young and probably did not have the, the maturity that Barnabas and Paul had. And one thing I think is, is for sure is that Mark did not see, uh, did, not, uh, did not have the same, he did not possess the same seriousness and gravity and tenacity that Barnabas and, and Paul had. That's why he, 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 the pressure, when the pressure was elevated and things got difficult and the more and more time away from home, you're uncomfortable and things aren't going the way you want them to go and you stand in doubt of persecution and things like that, he wilted, okay? He just, he fainted. Now, as we're going to see with Barnabas and, and Paul as well, in the scripture, the Lord does not hide from us the ugly parts of these people whose lives that he sets before us as examples. He does not hide their faults and their failures and their sins from us. Mark is a good example. Did you know that you have a book in the Bible written by this man who is a failure? Who's a failure? You know, you look at all the important people, the high, the, 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 the significant characters in the, in the Bible, you have, you, know, you have the Moses, you have the Davids, you have the Noahs. Moses, a murderer. Moses, who was, who was not permitted by God to go into the promised land, though he led the children of Israel faithfully through the wilderness, through the Red Sea, out of Egypt. All of those things that are counted as Moses' accolades, you know, his, his steps of faith, 
I mean, just, um, just unbelievable faith to us. And yet he was a murderer. And yet he was a man whose faith faltered. He was a man who did not have faith at one point at the burning bush. He was a man who was not permitted to go into the land that God had promised them because he did not obey the Lord. You have David. David, the lowest point in David's life was when he used his enemies to commit murder against Bathsheba's husband, his mistress. You have Noah who, following our, our I actually, I actually overlooked it in my notes, but in our Sunday school, we were going to go to, to Genesis chapter 9, who, the man who built the ark, you know, over a 120-year period that God led him to do something that was just unbelievable, unbelievable by faith. And yet right after that, he plants a vineyard and is drunk and naked in his tent, shamed. And God doesn't just let it lie. The Lord puts it in the Bible to, to shame him as an example to us. And you could go on and on. You could go to, uh, you could go to uh, Uzziah, the great king of, of Judah. You could go to Jehoshaphat. You could go to uh, other people. Even Peter himself denied the Lord three times. Why doesn't God just omit that? In fact, he doesn't just, he doesn't just include it in his word. He puts, listen now, the Lord puts the worst moment the worst moment of these people, he puts it in the Scripture. Not, he does not exclude it. He includes not just some of their faults, but the worst crashes of these people. Except with one, with one exception, the Lord Jesus. Because the Lord Jesus had no crashes. Amen. He had no failures. And what a great contrast that is that, that, to demonstrate who Jesus is as compared to all the other characters of the Bible. The Bible is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. He was faultless. But all these other characters that the Lord sets before us, He sets, before us, he sets them before us as examples with their faults. Not as heroes. Not, look, these people are not heroes of the Bible. God is the hero of the Bible. God alone is the hero of the Bible. So, these people in the Scripture are not much different than you and me. You and I ought to be able to see ourselves in them. You know, you think of Mark, he failed. He failed God. He disappointed his, brother, his brothers in Christ, his fellow ministers. He disappointed them. How many of you have done things to disappoint other people? How many of you have, done, how many of you have crashed? And I'm not talking about a simple fault or you have you know, a bad habit or something. No, I'm talking about you have totally blown it in the sight of God and in the sight of men. You know, that's something we ought to be able to identify with. I have done that. I have done that. And probably you have too. But you're in good company because the Scripture is full of people just like that. Of course, it doesn't excuse it. But see, if there was never anybody in the Bible that had a fault, that had a crash and burned, there would never be any example of restoration. There would never be an example of recovery, an example of God dealing with that person further. You know, people describe, it makes me so mad, 
People describe God as this angry deity in heaven that wants to just strike somebody down the moment they fall. If, if we only saw what God sees when he looks down at, at not only just the world in general, but even, at, even upon his people. If we could see how many of his people are crashing and burning and how God just, he scoops them up and he comforts them and he, he corrects them and fixes those faults and sends them on their way. If we saw that, we would cease to think that God is some tyrant, some, some deistic tyrant that is just going around, you know, thumping people on the head when they mess up. We mess up. We mess up. And God knows of anyone, God knows that we mess up the most. But if there was no one in the Bible who crashed and burned, then there would be no way for us to see that. Isn't it amazing how the Lord uses evil for good? So John failed. John Mark, he failed. He messed up. He went to the mission field and came back shortly thereafter, and he just couldn't hack it. He's done. He's washed up, right? Look, look at, uh, Acts, back at Acts chapter 15. The end of chapter 15, Paul takes that very seriously. <laughs> you can see, the, you can see the, uh, the, the dynamic between Paul and Barnabas in this. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark. Paul did not want to take John Mark. Silas is not even in the picture at this moment. Now, if you just keep your place here. We're going to flip back and forth a little bit. Look at chapter, look at chapter 4 of Acts. Why did Barnabas want to take John Mark? It's very simple. It was a part of his personality. Amen. That's what it was. He had a, Barnabas had a set of values that guided what he did, and it actually helped. You know, a lot of people think of, of Paul as kind of the leader in the relationship. He was the outspoken one. We know that for a fact. We, we saw it in chapter 14, I believe, the, when, when the, uh, the, the pagans there called him Mercurius because he was a speaker. So you have Paul, he's very outspoken, very in your face, very, uh, you, you know, kind of the, the one out front. And Barnabas, you have this kind of more passive, more, but that doesn't mean he's, he hasn't, doesn't have resolve. No, 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 no. In chapter 4, verse number 36, we're introduced to Barnabas for the first time. The Bible says, And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation. A Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, so you have Barnabas here. His given name by his parents was Joses. Joses, Joses. All right? He was, a, he was a Levite. He was a Jew. But notice his, his surname, the, the name given to him by the apostles, was Son of Consolation. So after they got to know him, they named him something else. Do you know why? Because of his personality. The son of consolation. Barnabas is a man who is known. His characteristic that stands out above all others is that he is one who is able to and enjoys and feels a draw to speak comfortably to people that are perhaps suffering, people that are, that are, that are having trouble and difficulty. This is what Barnabas is known for. That's why he's given the name. Bar, Bar Aramaic, son of Nabas, consolation, comfort. That's what, that's what his name means. So it's no wonder that he wants to take John, Mark, 
with them again. See, when, when he sees John Mark failing, Barnabas sees John Mark failing, Barnabas sees an opportunity to help somebody. He sees an opportunity to lift up someone who needs encouragement, who needs comfort. He sees an opportunity to invest in somebody to fill the gap, right? To bring them to a point where, they, where they're useful. So in John Mark, he sees an opportunity. Paul, not so. You see, Paul is dead set against it because Paul has very, apparently has very little tolerance for failure. Paul has very little tolerance. And it's, I don't think it's that Paul's not compassionate. I mean, you read his letters, he weeps for the Corinthians, for the Colossians. You know, he, it's not that he doesn't have compassion, but he takes the work of God seriously. And we assume then, by contrast, that that means Barnabas doesn't, and that's not true. But Paul's value is, this is the work of God. We need soldiers that are ready to fight, not ones that we have to help along. We need men who can stand on their own two feet, who have a walk with God and have strength ready-made. In other words, Paul wanted a ready-made co-worker. Barnabas looked to make a co-worker ready. It's totally different. He wanted, Paul wanted a man who's ready to go, that he didn't have to coddle, he didn't have to help. The man's already in his own right, faithful to God, and is going to do the will of God. Now look at chapter 11. Verse 25. In chapter 11, we've already studied this, but in chapter 11, verse 25, Saul of Tarsus has had a whole lot of things happen to him recently. The Lord has appeared to him on the road to Damascus. He has realized his whole life is fake. Not only everything he's been doing against the church is actually against Christ, but his whole system of righteousness has been wrong. He has been trusting in his own righteousness by the law rather than Christ. I mean, his whole world's turned upside down. He has lost everything. As a Pharisee, his wealth, his status, his honor, everything is gone. And so he goes home. I don't want to read too much into Paul going home, but he does go home. Tarsus was his home country. Cilicia, the province of Cilicia in the Roman Empire. He was a Jew from Tarsus, which was the capital of Cilicia. So he goes home. But notice in verse 25, Barnabas sought Paul out. So what you kind of read between the lines, and most people agree, having meditated on this, that whatever... There's no reason given why Paul, why Saul went back to his hometown, but he's obviously kind of been rejected a little bit by the Christians because they're afraid of him. So he goes home. What, what is clear is he's not like serving God actively at this point. He's home. Barnabas goes out of his way to travel a long distance from Jerusalem now. Antioch's not even a thing yet. To, from Jerusalem to, uh, to, to Cilicia, which is in Turkey, for the sole purpose of seeking out somebody that he wants to help, that he feels needs help, needs encouragement. So what's interesting is even though we see what Barnabas, his position toward John Mark is, he had already done this with Paul. When Paul needed help, he sought him out. He spent the time and energy and money to do it. 
And Paul is probably Paul because he brings him. He brings him into the church. He brings him to Antioch. Verse 26 says, And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. Through the influence of Barnabas, Paul is strengthened and he's found at the church that will send him to be a missionary. I mean, Barnabas has an undeniable influence on Paul. And here we are in the same position in chapter 15. Barnabas has an eye to help somebody that needs help, that's discouraged, that's downtrodden. And Paul's like, "Mm mm-mm. No. Here's what I want you to understand for this, and we'll move on. You have two godly men that each one of them in their own right is fully, totally persuaded that they're right. Right? You have Barnabas who is determined to send John Mark, and he is so determined that he's willing to part ways with Paul. He is so set. I mean, this is not, this is not an afterthought. This is not him being proud. No, he is, his value system is such that he thinks this is of such great importance that this is a game, this is a showstopper, rather, for him. And you have Paul, on the other hand, also equally godly man who loves God with all his heart, who seeks God, who, who both of the men think they're doing God's will. Both of them think they're, they're following God and seeking God and think they have an answer from God. And this is, the, this is the difficult part of this passage. And yet they come to a completely different conclusion. Is it possible for two people that love God with all their heart, who walk with God and seek God, to come to a different conclusion? Is it possible for them to have a disagreement? Yes. So it should not surprise us. It should not surprise us when we meet with with instances in our life, especially among the people of God, when you, you are fully trying to do the will of God and this other person is fully trying to do the will of God, you both are just, you, you want nothing but the will of God, but in the final outcome, you come to a different conclusion. Be careful, listen, Be careful of impugning the motives of others. You don't know the motives unless they give it to you or tip their hat and let you in on that little secret of why they're doing what they're doing. But absent that, you don't know people's motives. Listen, just because somebody disagrees with you doesn't mean they don't love God. Just because because someone disagrees with me doesn't mean they don't love God. Now, of course, There's limits to what I'm saying. In scriptural matters, the scripture is true, and if anybody disagrees, they're wrong. That's a matter of right and wrong. But what I'm talking about is that it it absolutely happens that two Christians who both love God come to a different conclusion, and they're equally valid. They're equally dead set on it. They're equally convinced it's God's will. And that can create problems. You know, I sure hope that in in our church that there would be people of that caliber. Listen, listen to what I'm saying. Where that, where that two people who might have, a, might have a disagreement, listen, that both of them are of such caliber that no one could deny that all they want to do is the will of God. Amen. In a way, this is kind of a good problem to have. <laughs> Instead of squabbling over, over, over what is obviously sinful choices and things like that, you have people that they're just, they're just godly people. And, you know, when godly people start bumping into each other, sometimes there, there are things about which they're 
both of them are fully persuaded is right and they can't agree. So it shouldn't surprise us when that's the case. And in these disagreements, just because there is a disagreement doesn't mean that someone is always right or someone is always wrong. Honestly, I think Paul and Barnabas were both right. I don't think there's anything in the text to indicate that one was right and one was wrong. Because they're both acting on principle. Paul, out of care for the ministry. Barnabas, out of his value of helping people. I think they're both right. Is it possible for Christians to both be right and yet have disagreements? As long as we live in this world, it is. As long as it is, we live in this world, it is. And let me say something real quick, just, as a, just in passing. We ought not have a, a, a separate set of standards and ways that we deal with people in our family versus people in our church. You ought to apply the godly scriptural principles in dealing with people in the church to, to your family as well. And that means to your extended family where people don't agree with you. I have people in my family that don't agree with me. You know, we need to take these scriptural principles that really apply most directly to the, the relationships we have in, our, in the body of Christ and apply them to our family too. We ought not have the double standard in that way. And I, I've seen that sometimes. So Paul and Barnabas both seem to have valid positions. Now let's consider Mark real quick. As I said, Mark was Barnabas, he was Barnabas' sister's son. He was uh, Barnabas' nephew. And through the influence of Barnabas, okay, in chapter 15, look at this. Verse 39 says, And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. When two godly people are both fully persuaded and with a clear conscience that a decision is right and they cannot agree, the only thing to do is to, to part ways. But don't read anything more into that than what's there. There's no, other, there's no other solution. There are many times when we disagree with one another that we, can, that we should look for an opportunity to yield, right? That's a biblical way to deal with conflict. If there's any way possible, if there's ever a disagreement between you and someone else, not just in the church, in the church, but outside the church as well, even in your family or friends or whatever, if there's an opportunity whereby you can yield to them and do so with a clear conscience, then do it. As much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. But there are times, and this was one of them, where godly men, by virtue of their conscience, cannot yield. Yielding would violate their conscience. And in that case, the only solution is to part. So, that's what happens. Verse 39 says, they, parted, they departed asunder one from the other, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God. Now, some people look into, read into this, and they say, well, the church sided with Paul because they recommended. I don't think that's there. I think the recommendation is of Silas because he's a new partner for Paul. But anyhow, Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Here's why I say they're both right. Would there have been a Mark without Barnabas? 
Because in the end, they did part ways. They could not come to a reconciliation in this matter. Neither man of good conscience could yield, and so they parted. As a direct result of that, Barnabas took Mark and, and went and did, did ministry in, in Cyprus, where Paul and Barnabas had done before. As a direct result of this influence of Barnabas, Mark becomes a valuable servant of God, whereas before he wasn't. Before he was a liability, now he is, he is an asset to the work of God. Would that have happened without Barnabas? Would that have happened without Barnabas standing his ground? No, it would not have. Consider how useful Mark would end up being. Consider how useful Mark would end up, ended up have being. You see, had Barnabas agreed with Paul and just rejected and refused Mark, would Mark have developed into, would, would he have had the opportunity to develop the necessary patience and strength and endurance in a difficult ministry to enable him to withstand the hardships that he would face? Likely not. He needed Barnabas. And God, knows, God knew that. You know, some, some of us are called into a ministry where we try, we go out of our way to help people that are cast down. And some of us are, aren't inclined to do that. What none of us ought to be is quick to cast somebody away because they're cast down. And that's a little bit what you see with Paul. But I think he had a good reason because the ministry was, was in the balance. The work of God was in the balance and that's something he wasn't willing to risk. So Barnabas influences Mark and so we read a few, I want to read a few verses about what, how Mark ends up. The most obvious is 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look at that, if you would. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 11. Verse 9 says this. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Cretans to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Now here you have a role reversal, do we not? Now Paul is in jail and he's discouraged because he's been forsaken. And now who does he bring up? Take Mark. And bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Mark's presence with Paul would have been a comfort. Would Mark have become profitable to Paul for the ministry had not Barnabas stood his ground? Likely not. Look at Philemon, chapter 1. You say, where in the world is Philemon? Right before Hebrews. Right before Hebrews. Philemon, look at verse number 24. Or verse 23 for context says this, There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow, fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, 
my fellow laborers. Listen to the names Mark is mentioned with. Aristarchus, Luke, Epaphras, people who labored with Paul, who were in jail. Here, Mark, he, he hasn't failed now. He's, he's, he's back serving God and risking life and limb, and he's hanging out with all the people that are in jail. He had, listen now, John, Mark, has recovered. He is better than he was at the beginning because somebody reached out to him to comfort him, to strengthen him. God has used Barnabas to recover one who had fallen. God restored a man who had fallen. And God can restore you when you fall too. And He can restore me when I fall and make us better than we were prior to our fall. It's amazing. He's sending greeting to Mark. Look at Colossians, if you would. That'd be to the left, a few books. Colossians chapter 4. Look at verse number 10. Verse number 10 says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom ye receive commandments. If he come unto you, receive him. Not only is Mark faithful with the, the, the fellow servants of Paul at this point, he's profitable to Paul for the ministry. He also is now being recommended by Paul. Listen. I think what happened with Paul is I think at the moment both Paul and Barnabas were absolutely convinced that they were right, and I think they both probably were right. But I think after years had went by, and Barnabas, God used Barnabas to restore John Mark, and John Mark became a servant of God and had his own ministry uh, that was respectable. Paul saw that, and I think in the, in the end, in the, in the final outcome, Paul looked at it and said, you know, you were probably right. You know, I had this very thing happen in Cambodia when I was a missionary there. This very thing. It was actually with Brother, Brother Matt Brown. There came a point in our relationship where Brother Matt had to make a decision about what he was going to do in his future ministry. And we talked about it, and I prayed about it. And I came to a conclusion as to what I believe the will of God would, would be for us. And he prayed about it, and he fasted about it. And he came to the exact opposite conclusion. It was hard. I'll be honest with you, it was hard. It was hard for Brother Matt too. You know, in, in our relationship with the Browns, there, there was, a, there was, some, there was a, a little bit of a, there was some hurt there. But like, I did not think I was wrong. And he did not think he was wrong. <laughs> But I look back on it now, and we read the letters with the Browns, and they're in this, this, this town, Maymut, and that was, ended up being their decision to go to this other town further out, you know, just a few minutes from Vietnam. 
And they went out and they're starting a church and we saw their Christmas program and people are hearing the gospel. People are hearing radio programs and getting saved and he's baptizing people and all that. That is all a direct result of that conflict. You think I'm going to sit here and be resentful and say, well, he's just, you know, he ain't, he ain't right with God. He's not doing what I, I think. No, no, no. There's no room for resentment and bitterness. I look back on it now and now and I think, God, you do all things well. I don't have an explanation for it. That's what, I think that's what Paul did. He sits in prison. He said, Mark's awesome. He's doing the work of God. He's awesome. I didn't think it at the time, but God, you know what you're doing. So Paul was proven wrong and happily so. Isn't it good to be in that case with your brother and sister in Christ? And after that conflict, that time passes. And if you, listen, if you keep your heart right, and I'll say something about this in a minute, but if you keep your heart right with God, you'll see God was right. You'll see it. And of course, we know as a result of this, Mark would go on being close to Peter, which is mentioned in 1 Peter 5.13. He worked closely with Peter, and as a result, he wrote the Gospel of Mark. In fact, in the second century, of course, the Gospel of Mark is not, the, the author is not named like in like Philippians and things like that. But in the second century is when the first person makes a citation that the Gospel of Mark was written by Mark. Mark wrote, ended up writing the gospel. He, he was that faithful. We have the gospel of Mark because of Barnabas. But think about, listen, and I, I just I want us all to be, look, look real quick since we're already here. Look at James 3. I'll make a couple points. We'll be done. James 3. Verse 13. You see, when there is disagreement, there is opportunity to get bitter. There's opportunity to impugn and judge the motives of somebody that you don't know, for sure. And there is opportunity to think evil of them and to hold a grudge because they differed with you. And they, also seeking the Lord as well as you, came to a different conclusion. We got to be careful of this. James 4, I'm sorry, James 3, verse number 13. Who is wise is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you. Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above. You know, this is how we, we, we have a disagreement with somebody, right? And we spiritualize it, Right? We spiritualize because we think we're right. We think we're doing what the Bible says and we think we're, we're doing the will of God and we use that as a pretext for carnality. That's what's happening here. And God says plainly, this wisdom's not from above. Envying and strife, no way. No way. This is carnal. It says here, this wisdom descended not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. 
Look, it is inevitable. There are going to be differences between God-fearing people, number one. Number two, that even though there is a difference, there is an opportunity for strife and carnality. It doesn't have to be that way. We do not have to hold envying and bitterness and strife over the matter. And what you see from what Paul says about Mark is he, didn't, he did not let it stew. He gave it to God and went on. And in the final outcome, he says, well, Mark's awesome. So listen, you, you and I should be careful of resentment and bitterness and anger stewing in our hearts, undealt with. You know what God says? If that's present in our hearts, He says, we must deal with it. And that doesn't mean come down to the altar. That means you go to that person and you get it right. And you ask forgiveness. And you get rid of, you go to God and you get rid of that stuff in your heart. You don't let it stay because it'll defile more than just you. That's what this says. There is confusion, verse 16, and every evil work. It breeds evil. Paul did not let that happen, and neither did Barnabas. There was a difference. They parted because they had no choice. But in the end, there was no resentment. There was only love. There was only gladness. And here you have Paul recommending Mark over and over. Think about what God brought out of evil. If you ask Barnabas and Paul and you said, what did you think of that? You know, I think of the issue with Matt Brown and what I mentioned a minute ago. I felt that was just an unpleasant time. It, it, was, it was just hurtful. And the thing is, the Browns didn't do anything to hurt me or our family. They weren't trying to hurt us. And we certainly weren't trying to hurt them. But there was hurt came out of the, the, the division, you see. But think of the good that came out of this situation. This is also true of the Browns. As a result of their division, as a result of this hurt, there were now two missionary teams instead of just one. Right? You have Barnabas and Mark, and you have Paul and Silas. Their work has been divided into two. You say, that's bad. They're reaching more people. They're doing more. They're doing double. As a result of this division, John Mark is now serving the Lord on the front lines, whereas before he wasn't. He would prove to serve the Lord faithfully. The recovery of one of God's, one of God's servants, that's fantastic. That is, not, that is pure good. And number three, as a result of this division, there was a Silas who is now serving the Lord as a new missionary whereas before he was not. And Silas would prove to be a significant part of God's work. Thus, listen, God took evil, what appeared to be evil with Barnabas and Paul, which probably involved hurt and pain. He took the clear consciences of two of his people and did with it good. Isn't that amazing? It's just, that's just amazing how God can take evil and turn it into good. Let's pray.